welcome back to uh, Chasing Sunday. Welcome, uh, welcome, welcome. Yes, I, we are your hosts. I'm Brian Davis. I'm Paul Roman Glevitt. And uh, we uh, we do this podcast for worship leaders or really for uh, for any creatives in the church or really anyone that, that is in the church or is out of the church because they left the church or mm-hmm. whatever. We just want to help, uh, help people uh, get off the treadmill of running from Sunday to Sunday. Uh, that's really what, uh, what this podcast is about. So glad that you're listening. This, uh, this episode, we have the honor, nay, the privilege. Uh, well, we don't. Paul had the honor Oh, and what an honor. It was so great. Of talking with uh, Josh Gafka. Um, he uh, is a, uh, an old friend of Paul's, and uh, they, they go, how far do you guys go back, Paul? I met Josh when I was working at the refuge in Broomfield, the church in Broomfield. So I want to say it was maybe about 10 years ago. Cool. Yeah. And Josh, uh, Josh has done a whole lot of things. Um, and uh, he's been in theater, he's been in film, he's yeah. directed, he's a teacher, um, and and all of this experience has kind of culminated in him being able to really create bridges between church and theater and education um, and, and borrowing best practices from each of those places. Uh, right now, he's a middle school performing arts teacher, which... Mm-hmm bless his heart for doing that. And he loves it. Like oh, he yeah. is on fire for teaching kids about theater Man, and drama. Like, I love to, it. To be wired that way, it just is completely foreign to me. But <laughs> I'm glad that there are people like Josh who exist in that space. Yeah. Uh, but he teaches at the Dawson School in Lafayette, Colorado. Um, he's a, a private vocal teacher, private acting teacher, um, uh, or acting coach, I should say. Um, and he's also, uh, one of the worship leaders with Envia Collective, that, which we have the honor of working with as well. So, uh, overall, Josh is just a great dude and, and the insight that he shares in this episode, uh, you're not going to want to miss. Cause, uh, I mean, I took copious notes as I listened through it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think this is really going to be an encouragement to you, uh, worship leader, in your uh, in your leadership, but also if you are involved in the creative arts in any capacity within your church, or if you're a teacher, like the the things that he shares are just invaluable. So uh, so get a notebook, get a pen, get ready to write stuff down because because uh, Josh Gafka is coming at your ears. And Paul, great job on this interview. I thought it was just just brilliant. You guys have great chemistry, and and uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. This is kind of our first time, you know, with sometimes you'll have Brian on a podcast without me and sometimes me without Brian and some of us together. And um, I think it's kind of a fun way to sort of break up the and, and create some uh, variety in our podcast. So I yeah. think it's it's a lot of fun. And and yeah, Josh, it was it was kind of this fun uh, experience where we didn't realize how many like um, crossovers and parallels in our life that we could really mm-hmm. um, connect on. And um, I remember when I met Josh and realizing that he had worked uh, or, or, yeah, under a very famous um, the- theater um, dramatist, writer, mm-hmm. director. Um, his name is Augusto Baal in Brazil. (laughs) And I remember, I can't remember how I found out about him for the first time, but his work called The Theater of the Oppressed was fascinating to me, Mm. just as a little bit of a context that like he goes and he 
puts on shows in the most unlikely of places, prisons. Um, and he, he sets them up within different governments. He was actually putting on, um, I think he had engaged people in Colombia who were on both sides of the civil war there or both not civil war, but you had the FARC on the, on the extreme left and the government. And he would orchestrate some theater events. Now, this is the guy that, um, Josh studied under, and I think it gives him such a fantastic, um, perspective on, engaging people in community in variety of different ways. I just think he sees things in a, in a very different way. So it's an exciting conversation. Well, and also, yeah, uh, he, he gets into this too in the episode, but, but how to, how to challenge your congregation or the people that you're leading in a very sort of gentle, Mm. almost subversive way, Mm -hmm. you know, almost Mm -hmm. to the point where they don't feel like they're quite being challenged, Mm -hmm. you know, but all of a sudden here we are in the midst of this thing that we're doing together and it's totally new and it's totally, you know, uh, it, it, yeah, it just, I, that's the kind of stuff that I'm like, I want to, I want to try that, mm. you know, at, at my church or try that when I'm leading at a place that I've never been before, you know? So, um, so yeah, I hope you enjoy, uh, Josh Gafka. We'll be uh, back with you at the end of this episode to, to share a little bit more insight, but also, uh, let you know some things that are going on with Torn Curtain Arts. Um, but enough of that. Enjoy Josh Afka and Paul Rumick-Lovett on the Chasing Sunday podcast. This is good. I normally talk to middle school kids, and so I can use bigger words. Not too, not too much bigger. You know, <laughs> with middle school kids and me. I mean. <laughs> I'll use that. I'll use it. Explain it to me like I'm a third grader. Yeah. What was that mindset? What was that movie? Somebody would say that. I felt like it was like a. It was uh, my cousin Vinny. Yes. Was it? Yeah. Yes. Tell it to me like I'm a third grader. I, 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 I steal that line. Oh, yeah. As a way to just kind of like the way adults talk. Yes. It just gets all esoteric. Esoteric. And, and <laughs> I'm the worst offender when that, in that regard. <laughs> oh, good. We can get esoteric. I yeah. Like but I, but sometimes I just got to go, okay, wait a minute. Like, can we clarify what actually we're talking about right now? Because I I've lost I, it. I really don't have. I mean, we had conversations with adults yesterday. We did a Zoom meeting for three hours. Mm-hmm. Like I was talking about, our um, we're we're starting this new program. We're doing experiential learning and project based learning, and mm-hmm. we're going after the United Nations developmental goals. And so mm. we had a meeting about that and coaching, and I was trying to explain stuff. And I'm like, between summer brain and the fact that I'm usually trying to talk to middle schoolers, I'm like, I don't think I'm making any sense right now. <laughs> so I'd always like Sava go, does that does that make sense? Yeah. Do, do what I say. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm clarify? I'm mostly having the insecurity because I do have that experience of looking across the table, and I can see like people's <laughs> brains are they're full. I don't know what that is, or it's like. I said stuff that they don't like. Uh, first of all, they don't think that way, uh-huh. you know, or they're not tracking that way. And I go, oh, and then I, I used to feel pretty bad, like, oh man, I've lost somebody in oh, that. Like, it's yes. my responsibility. It's always my responsibility to be understood. Oh yeah, isn't that, that fascinating? Sense. Now that I'm just saying that out loud, it's fa- fascinating <laughs> that I go like, oh, it was because I always own the responsibility to be understood. It's not like. That's not a bad thing, but if I'm not understood, yeah, then I would assume the problem was with me rather than the other person's Re- or or whatever or, or just a, some loss in, in translation. Yeah, yeah, that that you're just like that's that's not um, and and so that's and so I would 
not say something or I shut down quicker or those sort of things instead of going like, I can just talk whatever I want. I mean, it's not up to me to help you understand. If you have questions, you can, you can ask ask me questions, you know, or, or you can even say like, that's bullshit, Paul. I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> I don't all. agree with that. You yeah. know, and they I can disagree yeah. with you. That's yeah. okay. Oh yeah. no, that's my fear. I have. I mean, I, I I love getting into disagreements when it's a comfortable space. But yeah, I was my I was with my doctor today, and he started talking about um. He started getting political. I like to loosen people up from the barista to my doctor, yeah. and so I ended up spending about twenty minutes talking to my doctor about theology and religion and politics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and it and, that and always it, gets people and, loose. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, hey, let's let's relax. All right. What do you think about the January 6th thing? <laughs> um, so he starts getting into some some theological interpretations of scripture that I didn't necessarily jive with. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I got two things going on right now. One, um, he's about to examine me, and mm-hmm. I want this to go well. <laughs> and two. I don't want him to not like me. And so what I just, I'm going to smile and nod, but I'm smiling and nodding and going, I don't agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we've been working in church for a while. Yeah. And I, I imagine we've had more than our share of experiences like that. Oh yes. Where we're just like, and, and to some degree, that's kind of a, an amazing skill because there's a, there's an, as a piece of empathy Mm-hmm. That allows margin for people to have all sorts of believe what they want to believe, say what they want to say, and we, and and then at the same time, uh, it's it's got a shadow side mm-hmm. where we're always hedging our bets in mm-hmm. in every pro, pro, professional yes. relationship, right? Yes, where yes. it's just kind of like we have gotten at least I've discovered for me pretty skilled at the. Christian humility game, oh, the authenticity yeah. Oh, yeah. game, right? Yes. Yeah. Which is like, oh man, I know how to make you believe Un- unconsciously. I'm not saying like I don't don't think I'm a sociopath, but <laughs> but but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I'd be the judge of that. Other people would have to say, Paul, I think you're doing fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but that was like I I know. I just grew up in it. Mm-hmm. I learned the trigger mm-hmm. words. I knew mm-hmm. the things how to say. And and how to be just just kind of broken enough, oh, so yes. that that yeah. it was attractive, yeah, and made people like, oh yeah, that's great. And he's, then when he's you're being vulnerable, like right, can, yeah, add music and an emotional <laughs> Und- underscore this vulnerable moment of vulnerability, right? Yeah, now. yeah with music yeah, and yeah. A, sort of a scent uh, when you are in a moment of intense belonging, yes, where you're going like a lot of people in in churches are going like, where do I fit in here? Uh-huh. How to what degree of belief am I in regards to everybody else around yes. me? You put all that, and then you have somebody who's sharing some something vulnerable, yeah. or and doing it in a musical way, and they express some competency in musical skill. Uh-huh. It's it's a dangerous mix, is what I'm saying. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I, w- I was actually at a church recently, and I had for some reason my level of anxiety was higher. It's not. I don't get anxious anymore being in front of congregations or crowds as a performer. Um, but for some reason, I think it was just at a band for the first time I didn't know and in ears and the drummers way over here. And, and I'm like, okay, here's the congregation. It was a big congregation for a summer congregation. Mm-hmm. And I found myself looking out. I said, good morning, you know, whatever church it was. Um, this is the day that the Lord has made. 
<laughs> like, never in my life have I ever actually said that out loud. <laughs> and I was like, what am I trying to do right now? Yeah. yeah what am I? Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to yeah. show them, hey, I'm safe. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of you. Yeah. Here we are together. Yeah. I'm strumming under it. And, I'll, and they're all looking at me. <laughs> Look down. My mom was in the congregation. She's looking at me like, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's those things that we, yeah, growing up in the church, I'm a preacher's kid. So growing up in the church, you knew like how to, how to speak the language, right? Yeah. yeah. How to say what you needed to say for everybody to go, okay, he's, he's one of us or we yeah. accept you. And I still, you know, I still have that. Yeah. Well, and I was, that. I was listening to a guy, uh, an, another podcast that we, that we produce called Future Christian. So Lauren, the, the host there, he was interviewing. Oh, I the, don't the remember. pastor of the church planning. Yes. Yes. So he was um, interviewing, I don't remember the name. He was a Christian ethicist he had on the show just recently. And he has a background in Catholicism, but then left Catholicism, went into, like, was converted in the Southern Baptist Church. Uh-huh. And they were talking about the difference between written prayers and kind of the quote-unquote spontaneous prayers that oh, you would yeah, yeah. find mostly in the evangelical and Protestant traditions where Catholics would have mostly written prayers. Mm-hmm. And and they were saying, uh, you know, I, I Lauren was saying, I, I sort of long for the written prayers sometimes because you have this way of ent- entering into a tradition and somebody who thought so intentionally about these words – and this guy, uh, I'm, I'm, to- I'm just, I'm in the middle of the podcast, and I don't even, know, I don't know this guy's name, but I'll have to look it up. But he was like, "We make up tradition when we don't know, when we have, when we don't have it written." He was like, "When I was in the Southern Baptist churches, um, even though they would say these things were sort of extemporaneous or, or spontaneous, they almost always said the same thing. They almost always had the same language. They uh, always." Yeah you know, leaned into it. We just didn't call it. We weren't explicit about it. Yes. And it's that way where you step into any congregation uh-huh. and you have to figure out like, what is, what are the buzzwords? Yes. What are the, what's the code here? And what does it mean? Because I started to lose track of like, when we would say things like Lord, or when mm. we would say things like, you know, praise God or, blessed or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know these are these are terms that fit only within mean mean something within a community oh yes yeah but take them outside the community start to lose their meaning mm-hmm. and um we're we're so we're so into it already josh this yes, is so fantastic I like but i was like i want it i was like we've been into this we were having a good conversation you press record yes I, and then we i were, put my radio voice on that's right oh that's a beautiful radio <laughs> thank voice. you so much oh that's where we could, could, could go npr at any moment <laughs> i uh, did get my sag card doing a voiceover for a burger king commercial you once. did yeah. mm-hmm. so that's yeah that's a that's a nice way in i have that going for me yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, I want people to know a little bit about you um, because we're going to get back to this, but I want to kind okay. of jump back yes. a little bit. I want people to get to know you uh, about uh, maybe some of your history in theater, mm-hmm. as an actor, as a performer, like and and your church background. How did all that mix as you were growing up? Yes. Um, very organically. I was thinking about it on the way over here because I'm longtime listener, first time caller to the podcast. And so I... <laughs> I've been, I've been studying the, the methods, <laughs> the praxis. So yes. I was like, oh, okay, talk about myself. Um, yeah, so I grew up in the, in the church, Presbyterian church in, uh, out in New York. My dad's a, a re- now retired uh, pastor. And um, 
So I, I was able to be really involved in church, obviously, from, from a young age. I mean, it was, it was nice because I never, my parents never forced kind of belief or theology on me, but there was that expectation. Like, you go to church and you're involved in church. And, and for my parents, because they're performers, um, my dad, you know, being a preacher, also a songwriter, musician, really? my mom was the, oh yeah, my mom was the choir director, um, would do cantatas. Do you remember cantatas? Yes. Oh yeah. Cantatas. That's such an interesting choral art form that yes. like is, it has its own little niche and nobody else knows about it. It's no. fascinating. <laughs> Cause I'm glad that you know, cause yeah. I bring it up and people are like, no, I don't know. Cause of their Cantina. history within yeah. opera, basically yes. oh, yeah. they're just like opera for the church. Yep. So That's we did operas for the church and, mm-hmm. and we did little musicals. We did Salty the Singing Songbook. And so, oh, oh yeah. So I would that get, ca- I would get cast in all of that yeah. stuff. So, uh-huh. so early on, like I had theology or, you know, religion and, and, and church practice and worship and then theater kind of embedded in me because yeah. they would say, Hey, you're, you're playing Jesus. Um, Miss Karen, our, our youth pastor wrote a, uh, a script for Easter that parallels the Christmas story, the Easter story, and you're playing Jesus. And yeah. so I'm like, so I'd be Jesus or Joseph, right? Okay. Because I was the I was the the, the preacher's kid, the oldest of the three. Oldest. Tall and kid. you had a beard that came in early. <laughs> I had a beard that came in early. <laughs> I do have a fun memory. So I'm I'm on the cross and I'm chewing gum. Oh geez. And 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 uh Karen, our youth pastor, she she walks up and has me spit the gum out in her hand in front in front of the congregation. Yeah, and I was like, okay, so I guess that wasn't the appropriate way to uh, demonstrate being on the cross. But <laughs> so yeah. so this is how I was involved in church. I was involved in church through music and through art. Yes, and through theater. So that really got um, that got into me. But again, it was nice because my parents didn't they didn't um, they didn't demand anything of us rather than church attendance and, and, and being involved. Mm -hmm. And so at one point I had the opportunity to, um, kind of redefine, you know, kill, kill the God of my parents. I heard somewhere Mm. where you, you you go, okay, Mm -hmm. it's not my parents' God anymore. It's Mm. my, it's my, it's my God. And Mm. that happened for me in senior year of high school, got involved with the Pentecostal church, discovered the third part of the Trinity, Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, there's, I was a very intellectual kid. Mm-hmm. So it was all very just up in the noggin. And if I couldn't, if I couldn't, um, if I couldn't prove it, it just, it was something I threw out. Mm-hmm. And then I discovered this Pentecostal movement and the Holy Spirit. And I went, okay, I can't prove that. I don't understand that. All right. There's something to all of this mm-hmm. rather than just, you know, making everybody around me um, happy by saying the right words and and by and by doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm an Enneagram too. Okay. And so, are you an Enneagram? I'm person? a nine. You're a I nine. Mean, yeah. yeah. So I thought it was a two for a long time. I, you know, I was going to say in, with your whole yeah. like, I want people to understand me, and it's on me. I was going to guess it too. Oh, but interesting. You're not supposed yeah. to guess. So a nine. Yeah. yeah. With a what wing? Uh, okay. So if it's nine, it's a one or us or an eight. That's one my one or math. an eight. I believe it's one. Mm. Yeah. So I'm a I'm a wing three. I'm a three wing. So okay. I, that's the performance aspect. Of yeah. Me. So the yeah. the helper, the two. What can I do for you? How can I make you feel comfortable? And and yeah, um, yeah. Interesting that nines in their healthiest yes demonstrate the 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 qualities of a three. Yes, a, a healthy three. Yeah, because so, of that that triangle, the yeah. three six nine triangle. And so then, often what I do is I get attracted to unhealthy threes. 
oh. has been in my, in my life. And that just works out so well for that, me. Oh, that does, yeah. yeah. I mean, healthy three is a fun, oh. that's a fun three Woo, to be around. Yeah. They, there's none of those in church. Oh, I love, I love them because I'm like, how can I help you be your worst self? Because you want to be your worst self. What can I do to help you out? And now I'm bitter and resentful. Yeah. Um, so I, so I, I went through that moment in 12th grade, and then I got to college and um, and was was – had to redefine again um, because I showed up kind of being had, had being uh, recruited by the intervarsity kids, the mm-hmm. FCA kids, fellowship mm-hmm. Christian athletes kids, and and that was my crew. But then I discovered fraternities and mm-hmm. huh. <laughs> and, and, a, and a religion over there. Yeah, and and it was nice because I was able to I was able to to separate myself from institutionalized religion for the first time by finding community and belonging in another type of institution. Uh-huh. You know, I did that a little bit in high school, you know, part of the basketball team, I'm part of the, um, was actually never part of the theater group. Um, but, I, but I found this identity outside of the church for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so I had to ask myself the question, well, what parts, of, and I was going to church still, but what parts of me, what parts of me are um, crucial to the, the Christian identity? Because it wasn't about me being a church, mm. you know, going person and a Christian. I, yeah. I, I was a Christian; I was a follower of Christ. Um, and so that was another um, really formative time for me, where I was able to separate myself from my the the God of my parents and the God of the the you know the church I grew up in. Um, and the other group that I found was the theater group and. I wasn't part of that theater group in high school. I, I did a couple productions. I, I always loved being in front of people when we were younger. Mm-hmm. I called my mom up one time. I was doing the um, the uh, wounded. What's the, the the men's group thing? Um, sick, uh, so, uh, wounded heart. Wounded heart. That was called. Was it like Dan Allender stuff? No, it was. No. Uh, what's the oh, one where you're you talking daddy, about? The one by issues, uh, yeah. Dad issues. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> sacred heart. No. No. It it was one that I went through too because yes. it was that same guy. He was really popular. Oh, it was good, and he had a place out in Colorado. Yeah, and... yeah. And then he wrote what was it? Wild, wild at heart? heart. Wild at heart. It's some with heart. It's yeah. wild at heart. Yeah. And call up. I had to call up my parents and say, "Hey, what did I want to be when I grew up?" And they said, "Um, because uh, that was part of the homework." And they said, "As far as we could tell, you wanted to be Michael Jackson." I was like, "What are you talking about? Like, you always put on Michael Jackson performances." You are us. you are kidding me. Like, this is really strange. No, tell me. Oh, my gosh. My grandma got me a Michael Jackson um, record player. Uh, And that lit my brain on fire. (gasps) Yes. I mean, that white With the records or just the... It was it was a you know just a little suitcase kind of record sure, player. Yeah. Oh yeah. But on the those. inside was his. It looked if I remember correctly, it was kind of like the the cover to um. Is it uh, off the wall? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, or is it or is it thriller? Where he thriller has, is if he's laying down. He's laying with the, down with the um, tiger. I think he's yes. got a tiger in a that was suit that on. was yeah. it. Okay. So, and oh my gosh, this little white kid in Greeley, Colorado. Wanted to be Michael Jackson. Just give me oh, the white get along glove. Just fine. Yes. Oh yes. <laughs> I know it's so fascinating that we're talking about that in 2022 with everything that we oh, know. I know. I know. And th- this was like on the heels of all the documentaries and everything. My mom's like, "You want to be Michael Jackson?" I was like, "I don't think I can talk to. I can't. I can't say that in the Wild Heart Group, Mom." Um, but it, but it 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 showed me that that like 
that from an early age, I was this, I want to be in, in mm. front of people. Because what I was, I, I would get my neighbors and my brothers and we would put on performances. And so I would dance and mm-hmm. I'd be Michael Jackson mm-hmm. and I'd have the white glove. My grandfather actually bought us jackets from Spencer's. Oh, so we had- Spencer's. Yes. We had, my brother and I had beaded jackets and my little brother, I think had, <laughs> I think he had like a reverse thriller jacket on. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is fun. We made it into awkward family photos. Really? We got a picture taken at Sears. So they took a picture of my brother, you know, the very posed Dude. with the kind of like before the the, the, the uh, yeah. blurry background. You know, they made them like they pulled down the thing behind you. It was like a just a backdrop. Yeah. And you could choose whichever one you wanted. And so we're sitting there and we're very posed in our Michael Jackson jackets with the sleeves <laughs> rolled up. And we're looking at the camera really awkwardly. These three little kids from Long Island. And um and after Michael Jackson died, I sent it in, kind of in tribute to Awkward Family Photos, oh. and it became their biggest. Do you have their that? biggest post? It's online. If you oh. if you type in the King, because that's what they titled it, the King, and then Awkward Family Photos. Okay. And it became an internet meme for a while, oh. and people started using it as their Facebook profile picture. Um, at one point, uh, uh, Terrell Suggs of the Baltimore Ravens posted it out. And Josh. my buddy, who's a Ravens fan, he's like, look at you, mate, Terrell. So I wrote oh him, my Mr. Goodness. Suggs, that's me and my brother. And he's like, that's awesome, man. <laughs> we got to post it. Oh, yeah. We gotta you gotta, that's going to be my, yeah, if you do profile, you can yes. do that as a profile okay. picture. So okay. how did I get, what were you asking me? Okay. No, I'm, so, I know, I'm kidding. I know. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> I don't get a chance to talk about myself. And reminder, I work with middle school kids. It's all about them. Love them. Um, so... So I'm so I'm in this place where I I'm I'm kind of rediscovering what's connected me to Christianity because I've separated myself a bit from it mm-hmm. and I'm 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 discovering for the first time like I love performance and mm-hmm. I love being in front of people and I love putting on a persona mm-hmm. and so I decided in college to become a, a theater a theater major small small school um, Davidson College in North Carolina and there are about four of us theater majors. And so I was like, oh, I can, I can be the fifth one. Mm-hmm. And um, just jumped into it and discovered this love for performance mm-hmm. that for me was a real, it was about belonging mm-hmm. and it was about, it was this real spiritual mm-hmm. um, practice, mm-hmm. you know, going mm-hmm. through the, the, the litany, the, liturgy litany whatever of of practicing your lines mm-hmm. and prepping for a role and and all of the mm-hmm. um all of the the tradition of theater um there's uh, a mythology connected oh, yes. to it right yeah. you know and that i i completely relate that was just part of my experience when i was in high school was it was like the it was there was a bit of a sanctuary yes ideal yes i mean it's sort of baked in whenever you talk about sort of like don't say macbeth in a theater right (laughs) there you 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 say the scottish play or whatever that kind of superstition yeah is a is sacred Uh uh-huh yeah you know it's about making things intentionally sacred yeah so that you you go oh i've entered into a different space entirely and so i have to be different yes you know Yep. I mean, that's that's what oh, I'm just hearing. Yeah, what walking you're into the space. I mean, walking in. When I got my most recent job teaching middle school theater, during my interview, they took me on a tour to the theater, and I walked in, and I'm like, whoa! You could just feel, you just feel the sacredness of it. Mm-hmm. You feel the the weight of it, like the beautiful weight of mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. That's for me walking into a sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, 
lead different sanctuaries every Sunday and are different churches. And I walk into the sanctuary and it feels like home, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that became the theater for me in college. Mm-hmm. I was like, this feels um, more, more, or as equal to a home for me as does walking into a sanctuary, mm-hmm. which was a really beautiful discovery because that was the beginning of me going, okay, I, I can, I'm starting to weave these things together mm-hmm. um, because they existed really exclusively. They were mutually exclusive mm-hmm. be- before that, you know, in my time in high school, um, and even early on, I'm like, I think I want to be a theater major, but I, I, I know I probably should major in religion because that's like, sure. I don't want to do that. Um, and I actually went to a party sophomore year back at home right before we had to declare majors. And I walked around and half the people, when you, you know, everybody's sophomores yeah. are like, what yeah. are you majoring in? Half of them, I said, religion. And they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense for you, preacher's kid. Half of them, I said, theater. And they're yeah. like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> But you didn't give the same answer across the board. No, fascinating. It was a um, it was a A B test. Yeah, but unconscious. No, I knew I what I was to? doing. Oh, I knew what I was doing. Yeah, I was like, wonder how this is going to fall. It's my way. I process. I process. Extreme, you were you know? A B testing. I was, and I, I walked away and I went. I think I'm more excited because they seem more excited about oh. me doing theater. Me doing theater. So I went back to Claire to theater major and really got into the theater scene. And it was so uh-huh. it was so satisfying. Um, discovered my love for directing, for acting, for producing plays, um, for tech theater, uh-huh. doing lights and sound, um, video. And um, so senior year of college, I was, I was part of this, this, um, this, it was called Bonner Scholars. It was this uh, program where instead of work study, you would do service study. So you would do 10 hours of service a week mm-hmm. and you would, um, and they would pay you for the service. Mm-hmm. But it was great because you had to be accepted into the program. So instead of working at the library, you could go and you could tutor at the local community center or go be guardian ad litem for the local law center mm-hmm. and, and represent kids in, in um, mm-hmm. going through the legal process. And I, I was kind of looking for something new to do senior year. And I was part of this Methodist church and they hired a new um, youth pastor and she got up and she said, Hey, we need, we need volunteers. And I had never thought about going into ministry at that point. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, it just, it just like a bell dung for me. And I went, mm-hmm. I got, I got to walk down and I got to say hi. And I got to say, Hey, I want to be a volunteer. Mm-hmm. And I did. And I jumped into youth ministry mm-hmm. where all great ministry people get their start mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, um, and started this journey of ministry that reconnected me to my love for church because now I was like, how can I use, I was able to start seeing how I could use my gifts for it. My, my love for teaching, mm-hmm. which comes around and I can talk more about my love for performance because youth ministry is, mm-hmm. I mean, we were very kind of enmeshed in the, in the youth, um, the young life model, mm-hmm. you know, where we're um, getting up and razzle dazzle and get some songs. And then there's the message and then, you know, some small group type of stuff yeah. or, um, and so, so I was doing that. I got into youth ministry, and and during youth ministry, you gotta you gotta know how to do music. And so, mm-hmm. I remember Evan; he was one of the youth kids. He was like, oh, "Hey, Josh, you gotta we gotta start singing because we we weren't act, we were singing like silly songs and you sure. know, rolling eggs on the on the floor with our nose and doing all that kind uh-huh, of stuff." And, uh-huh. and he's like, "We gotta sing." Um, uh, uh, fl- uh, flood jars of clay. We got to do jars of clay flood. Uh-huh. And I'm like, 
all right, I'll go buy a guitar. <laughs> I'll learn how to play Charles of Clay. Can you bring a guitar too, Evan? He's like, sure, yeah. I'll bring it along. And so that was the first song I ever did, um, which then got me into where I am now with worship ministry. But it was this, um, the, the, the youth ministry part of it was just so beautiful and wonderful because my love for students and my love for the church and my love for theater all came together for mm-hmm. the first time. And I was able to express those to the, to the fullest. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to limit anything. And in youth ministry, it's a great place to start because it can be messy mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be, you don't have to have the right answer. You don't have mm-hmm. to have all your T's crossed and your I's dotted. And I was able to do a lot of my own spiritual formation and my own, um, and my own discovery and awareness of, of, um, who I want, who, yeah, who I wanted to be in, in God's kingdom and God's church as part of that youth, mm-hmm. as part of that youth ministry. Um, and that, so, so that grabbed a hold and I was like, this is what I want to do. And I want to be an actor. <laughs> and so I want to do both. And I actually had the chance to do both. So I started mm-hmm. doing theater down in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, got involved in some some equity companies, so big regional theater, and got started getting cast in these big shows. Mm. I was doing youth ministry by day, and then um, and these shows by night. And I was li- living this this dual life, which was kind of fun because you, you know I sure. had a a little brain break from one when I yeah. went into the church, and a brain break from the other when I went down to the theater. Yeah, um, and it was and it was it was such a nice journey because I was able to live. I think so oftentimes when I've been involved in, in ministry positions, like that's my identity, right? That's, Mm -hmm. that's who you are and you've got to fit into whatever is going on and, and living in both of those, I was able to explore, um, different aspects of myself. Yeah. I'm not talking like night and day, like, you know, Jekyll and Hyde, I'm going to go down to the theater and I'm going to, you know, smoke a pack of cigarettes and curse like a sailor, but but I'm 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 exploring my spirituality and my my presence to the world in in two um, different but parallel ways. Yeah. Um, and I think what's yeah. fascinating is we there's so much of our stories that are parallel between yes. you and I. Yeah. Um, and in many ways, there's a lot of universal qualities. In there, mm-hmm. that there's there are people who are thrown into something, and we're figuring out who we are in the yes. midst of it. Yeah, right. And um, and that takes a lot of patience and flexibility and humility in order to to discover uh, that uh, the inconsistencies that you think between oh, who am I? Am I this mm-hmm, person mm-hmm. or am I this? Because for me, it was the same thing. It was like. Uh, just the details were a little bit different um, yes. in my story because it, it involved youth ministry. It involved theater. It involved music for churches. And, you know, where did, where did it begin? Yeah, it did begin with Salty the song, yes. Songbook in church. Like that's <laughs> like, you know, when I was, I don't know, it could have been like five or six years old. And, you know, my parents just put me in that little uh, Christian school, uh, Christian um summer camp or a VBS oh, yeah, sort of thing VBS, that has a yeah. performance or my, and there was much more children performing in churches when I was a kid than there is now. Yes. There's just yeah. hardly any of that. Now. Yeah. Maybe you see, you see a bunch of kids in a line singing at Christmas, you know, <laughs> although like, 
before Christmas Eve, you know, and like yeah. they're singing a couple Christmas carols and that's all you see of kids. Otherwise, send them church. off to study school. Yeah, exactly. Yes. There are, and it's not like they want to be up there, you know, but, or I say up there, but, um, it's, it's fascinating how much more, uh, involved and, and expected it was mm. of children in just church life. Oh yes. Yeah. Um, and I feel, so I feel fortunate. Yeah. I mean, to grow up in that because, and, and I've, I've tried to give that, I have an eight-year-old daughter. I've tried to give that opportunity to my daughter whenever I'm in a position. I was at a church out in Minnesota that did actually do a wonderful job of putting the kids up in front. In mm. fact, one of their traditions was the last worship song, the sending song. They invited the kids to come up and play this assortment of instruments, mm. like Orf percussion instruments oh, they had. Oh, really? Oh, that's which brilliant. Which at first, drove, it drove me nuts. Yeah. I pushed back on it. Uh-huh. And I was like, this is... This is kind of a cacophony. And we're, we're, uh-huh. this is, I had a great band, uh-huh. professional players, uh-huh. and we're like making art. Uh-huh. And these kids, and it was so, it was ironic because I think I realized that moment. I was like, oh, I have come so far from my roots, which is the kids should, I mean, we got in trouble when I was a youth pastor for the kids being in the balcony. We have 50 kids sitting in the balcony and they'd uh-huh. make a noise, they'd make sure. noise, yeah. but they were at church, right? Right. And, and so we, I would get talked to every once in a while by the executive team. Hey, those kids need to, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, no, that's me now. Because yeah. I'm at our worship planning meetings. I'm yeah. going, can we maybe rethink this thing? The kid's coming up and yeah. banging on stuff. Even when my, my my daughter would come up and jump in my arms with a shaker and, like, I'd hold her and sing songs. And yeah. I'm like, this is this is, this is meant to be really beautiful. Yeah. But it was this big church, high production value. Um and so those two things didn't, I was like, ah, this yeah. doesn't, this doesn't match, but it was beautiful. And I hope they still do it. Well, and it's fascinating. The, the things that you want when you're young, and then we feel like you're just so inappropriate when we, when we oh, get yeah. older, you know, all that stuff. Cause it was, it's true. Some of my favorite memories was in a church once where it was like, uh, there would be some sort of Christmas program during a Sunday service that involves the kids. Yes. Yep. And so uh, at the time I was like, oh, I'm still a big fan of Marie Sendak and mm-hmm. uh, all or that sort of stuff. And I think Sufjan Stevens had released a Christmas album and he had oh, this yeah. sort of like, you know, you know that sound. I don't know. I don't know how to even explain it, but I was really influenced. And I was like, I think the band should be the Barnyard Animals. Of adults, and we are going to look like this. We're going to act like kids a yeah. little bit as a spiritual practice, because there's so much. And you know what? Were some of them embarrassed? Did they do it just based on my relationship equity that they were like <laughs> Goes cashing in? Yeah, cashing in. I was like, yes, yep, I'm cashing it in right here because yep. I don't think you even you even realize how much you need this, mm-hmm. like. There is some foolishness that needs to be back in your oh, life. Yeah. Um, and all I'm asking for is this small little gap. And then you take the hat off, the take take the stupid hat mm-hmm, off. Mm-hmm. And then you go like, well, it, it should be in it shouldn't be in this church. It shouldn't be, you know, at some level we we have that there there's the competing narratives of one is the sanctuary. It is the the mm-hmm, thing that mm-hmm. is holy and, and and then the other part of it is really about power mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. and it is about how do I exert power and find myself within a status yes. in this holy quote unquote space. Yes. Um, and 
I love the sacredness of a space. I, mm-hmm. I want to cultivate that. But at the same time, I, I do a lot to try and destroy any sense of who's got power <laughs> mm-hmm. in this place. Events, and, non-hierarchical. Non-hierarchical. Like a, ga- right. like a non-hierarchical coming yeah. together around the table. Right. And yeah. there was there was a time, and, uh, you know, years ago, I think, well, we, when we first met, we yeah. were, we were we, we met on a, on a project for the refuge, which is a church in Broomfield, Colorado. And you were doing some interesting stuff, stuff that I was really excited about because you were trying to get people to understand worship in this bigger, broader sense, how, how theater and, and worship integrated. Um, and, and I, that was even a church that I remember playing, uh, keyboard singing while I had the baby like backpack on and my youngest daughter was on my back as I'm leading people in worship. It was a little upright. It was a little upright. It was a little upright, gorgeous little place. It's just, you know, this clunky little room, but it was gorgeous, right? yeah. Um, What were you trying to get people in that space to kind of experience? Yes. So um, I I had a chance during my, 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 theater career and my, my ministry career to discover early on what's called um, theater of the oppressed. Yeah. So Augusto Boal mm-hmm. is this, this theater practitioner out of Brazil who I had a chance to study with. And, um, and he, he started, I could do, can I, can I explain some let's of the, do it. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Because this is really, to know because yeah, this is really not the, the basis. Very, yeah. Cause there's, there's two, like there's two aspects for me when I approach worship ministry and really ministry just in general, church, sanctuary in general, I think of it kind of these, these two ways. One, I, I see it as a theater artist, you know, what's the space that we're in? The space is so important. How are we yeah. sitting? Yeah. What, what message are we communicating to people as soon as they walk in? So yeah. I could talk bunches about that and yeah. production value and, 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 um, and that aspect of it. But then this other aspect of it, which is what I brought to the refuge that night, is this theater of the oppressed work that he did. And he was a theater practitioner in Brazil, like I mentioned, back in the 50s, 60s, he had this group called the Arena Theater. Mm-hmm. And they would um, they would do theater for the people. So they wanted to show people how their lives could be. So mm-hmm. here, look, on, look at the stage. Here is the example of, of what lives, you know, what the ideal is, right? Mm-hmm. Not uh, not unlike if you think about sitting in a church with really high production values, people are sitting there going, oh, that's how I should sing. That's how I should dress. That's the theology I should believe in. Right. This is how, you know, they're up there practicing. You know, it's this very, um, it's, it's not pre-Vatican II, the post-Vatican II where they're all, they're not facing away from us, but they've turned and they're facing towards us yeah. and they're they're showing us what we should be emulating. Yeah, yeah. So that's what he was doing. And then two things happened to him and kind of, um, and kind of a post-Vatican II style where, you know, when the Catholic Church had to rethink itself, put its right. stuff into the vernacular, um, turn the priests around to face the people. Boal's group did did two of those things. They, they realized, hey, the people that we're trying to attract are actually not coming. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not here. Mm-hmm. They're actually out in the suburbs and in the rural areas. We're not, we're not getting to the people that we need to get to that mm-hmm. can make the change. Mm-hmm. And so they had to get rid of their space and go out into mm-hmm. into the into the su- suburbs and rural areas to take their theater to the people, and they took their theater to the people, but they're still do- doing this emulate us thing. Hey, if you want to rise up against your your the, the ruling class, mm-hmm. um, the the people that are oppressing you, 
here's how you take up guns, here's how you, or take up arms, here's how you, you fight for your, your freedom. And the people said, oh, that's so great. We love, we love that. Will you join us as we go fight for our freedom? And the actors said, oh, no, no we're, <laughs> we're, we're just actors. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, can we borrow your weapons that you were using during the play? Because we're going to need arms if we're going to fight this revolution. And uh, Powell's actor said, oh, these are just props. And they said, okay, so you've come all the way out here and you are showing us how to go shed our blood for our rights in this revolution that you're encouraging. And you're just going back to your city lives and take your props back with you. You have no risk in this. You have no. And so they revolted against the actors and it and it caused Boal to rethink his methods. And he realized, oh, if we really want these people to practice what we know as, you know, th- these educated people from the city, we know how they could fight for their freedom. Um, mm-hmm. And we're showing them that we need to get them up on stage and we need to get them practicing this, these actions and to, to try out things, to look towards the future and to say, Hey, let's try to solve the problem this way. And then we, as actors need to respond to that. And so he developed this idea of what's called the spectator. Mm, so spectator and right. actor. Yes. Isn't it? I yes. love this stuff. This yeah. Great. And so he said, there's, there's, there's going to be a blur of the lines between the people in the audience and the people on stage. Right. And we're all going to be of a piece and we're all going to create the story together. And my actors are going to have to learn Mm -hmm. how to be responsive Mm -hmm. to the audience because we may come with some ideas. Hey, this is how you rise up and revolt, or this is how you solve your problem. Uh You know, if it's some kind of reform, Um, but they may bring different ideas to us and we have to respond in a very educated way and know how to have this conversation. And so he blurred those lines and it became this, this beautiful togetherness yeah. that, that re- so I had the chance to, to go in and do some workshops using this technique for organizations, for colleges and, uh-huh. and, um, and uh, other types of organizations uh-huh. and, um, and discovered, oh man, this, this stuff would really be useful in the church yeah. because we have some of that, we did and we still do some of that you sit, you watch. We're going to uh-huh. throw you some songs, yeah. get you clapping a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I realized what what a liturgical thing this was. Yeah. It was really of the people. Yeah. And so that's what I brought to the refuge that night. Yeah. And has been one of the, it was interesting because I, I, I got a chance to do it a lot in my youth ministry because uh-huh. anything goes in youth ministry, right? right? You know, um, and that's where you can you can push the lines a little bit and you can experiment. So it was so delightful to be invited to the refuge yeah. and to be to be invited into that space. And I had that same experience at another church um, in Highlands Ranch, Methodist Church, that was doing um, a conference. It worked with um, Lily Lewin, who wrote the book Sacred Spaces, uh-huh. Sacred Space with Dan Kimball. Oh yeah, yeah. And yes. so we did we did some of the same Great. some of that same work. And those are the two yeah. times I was able to really practice that. But at the refuge, I wanted people to to have a sense that we were together and that we were telling the story together yeah. and that we were going to respond to each other. And yeah. so I think we, we did some image theater, yeah. which is one of the techniques. So two big techniques, image theater and form theater. Yeah. Image, image theater is when you use your body and your voice to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. So rather than just sitting and talking back and forth, 
you get up and you act it out. Mm -hmm. And you act it out with an image. I'd say it's like walking into a museum and seeing a statue. And what does that statue communicate to you? Mm -hmm. Oh, it looks like fear. Great. Let's talk about why that that why that statue communicates fear mm -hmm. and then you dynamize um or, or put that statue into motion so what what repetitive motions repetitive sounds mm. can communicate mm -hmm. that fear and it gets people to it gets people out of their heads yeah which i mean even yeah. when we're singing you know we do that really well with you know the the, the latest you know worship tune and six eight time and it's yeah, you know, we could get people out of their heads and moved by yeah. the music, which I think is wonderful as long yeah. as it's not manipulative. Yeah, um, but this does it in a really um, in a in a much more um, kind of vulnerable, dangerous way. That if you lean into, creates yeah. some beautiful conversation. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, what I find interesting is that you do have to discover that line when we're talking about church because the, the refuge is an unusual. Yes. It was an unusual church space Beautiful. that would yeah. be open to a kind of experimentation. Yeah. That was probably back when I was there. So that would have been five or six years ago. Oh, even more. Even more than that. I Ten? Mean, we're, Goodness. Probably. We're, old. we're older. <laughs> we're older. Anyway. <laughs> but I do think it was experimental back then. It what When you were saying things... There was that m move around the 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 explosion of like the emerging church and the emergent church yeah. early two oh, thousands yes, right yeah so everybody so more churches were interested in in experimenting in changing yes. the methodology yes. the spaces they were like let's blow everything up then there was there were groups that went they they continued to go it's like this has more implications to our theology than we realized mm -hmm. so they kept going on that path and then there was another group. That was just like, no, we just kind of wanted to have candles and we just kind of wanted to like move the chairs around and to like We sang circle. a Teze song. Yeah, we yes. sang a Teze song. And then, and then eventually they just kind of uh, returned to the mean. Yes, you yes, know? yes, yes. And, and, and I understand that that is so natural for humans. Uh -huh. Like we have to go through these spurts of like experimentation and then we come back to the safe space mm -hmm. and evolution over happens over time of jumping out, out of, out of comfort zones, out of, into the extreme and then back to where it's safe mm -hmm. into a comfort, mm -hmm. uh, into extreme back to where it's safe. And how do you Cause I have tried it with mixed success. I'll do things that I go like, Oh, I want to test people, mm -hmm. put them in a place where it shakes their, I, I introduced them to a practice. One practice was um, we did a back uh, a couple of years ago. It was called Darkness. It was a series of installations for for Good Friday mm. or mm -hmm. Lent, mm -hmm. and they were based on the Stations of the Cross, mm. but in a very sort of abstract and referential way. So it wasn't as specific. It was like they were just ways of remaking. Like remaking the mass. Yes. Like I'm going to put my own spin on it, yep. you know, just like any artist would do with a mass. You yep. know, like put my own spin on it. Um, and for some people, it was incredibly helpful mm -hmm. and very even transformative. And other people walked away frustrated, <laughs> angry. Uh, and, and I would imagine they, were, they would really be, you know, his theology is suspect and all that kind of stuff. How do you, when you step into a place – as you know, as a teacher, as a mm -hmm, leader, mm -hmm. that I feel is some there is some mandate to find a figure out like how do I push people along, mm -hmm. and what's their capacity 
for this? Yeah. How do you figure out in, in, oh, intuitively when in, with that yeah. space when you go like how much how far is too far for somebody? You yeah. know what I mean? Yes. Um, the, it's a lot about uh, the relational. What, did, what was the phrase you used before? With hey, wear the hats to your to your to your group. We're gonna do the um, the Maurice Sendak thing. Oh yes, <laughs> like animal hats. Yeah, the relational. You, you need you need yeah, some some foolishness in it. Yeah, well, no, you need some relational um, equity. Equity. Thank yes. you. I knew there was the word. I'm in summer brain right now. <laughs> equity is the word. Yeah, relational equity. Um, and so, mm-hmm. you know, when I've been involved in a congregation, well, two things. One, when a congregation like the refuge invites me in and says, "Hey, you can play," mm-hmm. and there's there's really like not very many limits, mm-hmm. um, then that's that's fun. Or mm-hmm. working with Lily Lewin. Um, on this sacred spaces project, and and then and and ex- and experimenting because people are walking to that space knowing mm-hmm. we're we're going to we don't know what to expect and we're okay with drawing outside the lines because mm-hmm. we really don't have line we know we've got some agreed upon lines we've got some norms but we're also into into um, experiencing different things mm-hmm. um, so when I've been involved in churches that are like my church I was serving in Minnesota um, for a couple of years that have a, a lot of expectations. It was, it was a intergenerational congregation, um, Lutheran church been around for a while. And, and so they've got their, they've got their mass, they've got their liturgy. It's, it's finding the spaces where you can, um, you can kind of scaffold people into some of those moments, yeah. you yeah. know, so introducing something um, even as simple. And I, and I did it, I think I did it at that church where when you receive the benediction, you you put your weak hand and, and your strong hand. Yeah. Like you would do with the Eucharist, yeah. weak hand and strong hand. Um, which is not a new tradition, but it's right. but it's something that that people don't think about. And so right. you go, hey, this is how we're gonna express our bodies right now. Right. So if it's comfortable, I was trying to say, if it's comfortable for you, if this yeah. feels right for you, you know, put your weak hand and your strong hand yeah. and receive this benediction. Um and and that allows people to walk into that space. And I'm not going to say, hey, we're going to pause service right now. We're going to, and we're going to do, um, you know, really intense body prayer. Right, exactly. Which is another one. And some congregations I've been involved with, they love, you know, body prayer is an okay thing because yeah. they have that language, right? Yeah, right. And that's theater, you know. And and what theater. you did was you just introduced in a very oh, yeah. safe and bite-sized way yep. an embodied blocking in yes, theater. yes, yes, yes. It's, it's just, yeah. it couldn't be any more basic. Move, body. move one hand on top of another hand as a way of triggering a sense of embodied uh, meditation. Yes. You know, what What I've done is I've just made my, made, and, and, and that's a thing that a lot of evangelicals aren't practiced in. No. You know, and, yep. and so finding those different places, and, and I find that, and this would be an interesting thing because here's where I'm thinking how how some of your I would call it theatrical intelligence or your intuition like and your training <laughs> your your theatrical <laughs> intelligence that says I know how to employ kind of the mechanics of storytelling and yes. the, you know that is not in a manipulative way but is a way mm-hmm. that's just like a the way a um a personal trainer knows how to um, train you into specific postures or practices mm-hmm. in order to mm-hmm. activate certain muscles. Yes. Like you're not going to know, you're not going to feel this stretch until you do it this way. Yeah. You know, 
there's there's mechanics to that. They just know from training and from history and experience. They're going to do that. Mm-hmm. There's a practitioner, like a worship leader, who is leading people into these ways that are going to feel safe mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. are orthodox. They are, mm-hmm. they are, there's great precedent for them in the church and all this stuff, but they just always feel new. But there's no difference between that and introducing a new song. Yes. Yeah. You know, which, and, and you have to know, you have to know the congregationals, um, or the congregations, the, the church's willingness to, um, to, I guess, to experience new things, um, to, to, you know, you, you want to take them to the point, not, not so, so much that they're frustrated and they walk right. away and they go, you know, this, this, this is not what I was looking for. Um, no, that's okay. This is not what I was looking for is good. I mean, I feel like if you, if I go through a worship service and I'm not uncomfortable at least one point during that worship mm-hmm. service, I'm like, uh, you know, and it, and it, that's, that's a lot mm-hmm. of what I bring in my openness to being mm-hmm. made to feel uncomfortable. But if I'm, if I, if I go, whoa, they really tended to me and, and shepherded me and you know, I I don't feel any need to go and think more about what I just experienced. Right. I go, ah, maybe we could have pushed the bounds a little bit more. Yeah. But there are also churches that that do that, I think, I don't know, just for the for the sake of doing it. Just as there's theaters that 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 do that. You know, there's theater that you can go to and you go, or movies that you watch and you go, wow, that really forced me to think. That made me uncomfortable. Yeah. And then there's there's others that you go, oh, they were that was that was their game. I mean, that's what they were looking to do. Yeah. Um, I don't know that churches much can afford to do that anymore. Right. I'm sure they did. You know, I'm sure there are churches that that still do or did that. But yeah. Um, but you you don't want to you don't want to do it for the sake of doing. It. You want it for the sake of of this this idea of entertainment. I don't know if you, the the yeah. the, um, the t- tenere and and the two Latin derivatives or two, the, the etymology of that is oh, being held in between. So it's entertainment. Yeah, it's held in between. in between. So the idea, the old idea, was you lift people out of their their comfortable lives and you hold them in the space between earth and and the gods heaven right. yeah. and then you you give them an experience that wow. they're more open to because they are in this held in between space and then you return them to their lives mm-hmm. and then they go about and they've they've changed and so if you don't so it's an interesting thing because we, you know, the church said we don't want to entertain people, but in the but true sense, we do. Well, and and, yeah. and it's interesting how that's connected to for me the idea of liminal space. Oh, I love yeah. You know, in yep. liminal space, I do feel like there's a differentiation between that and entertainment. Yes, liminal space. I don't always believe that you. It's not a, often a pleasant experience, yeah. But it, it means in between. Mm-hmm. It's the Lyman. It's the the threshold between yes. two spaces, um, which is critical. And it's almost always where transformation happens in Scripture. Oh yeah, the wilder- oh, yeah. wilderness yes. happens. All that stuff is liminal space. What do we know? What do we know about what are the kind of the characteristics of a liminal space? Often it's disorientation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. confusion, mm-hmm. Um, kind of maybe even loss of identity. It's it can be painful. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it can be um, exciting and um, sort of like you feel alive because mm-hmm. there is a there's a sense of potential or or, or moving or so. There is two different kinds of experiences that then uh, translate to transformation mm-hmm. through if you go through a liminal space. Yes, if you if you with attention, 
With intention. Yes, with intention. With intention. Um, transformation can happen. But you can, just in the same way, you can go through an entertaining experience mm-hmm. and not be changed. Yeah. You know, and I mean, there's, you know, from the, the, the example of film, like there are films that have profoundly changed me that I didn't like watching. Mm. And and I didn't even, but I couldn't shake them. Mm-hmm. Like I just mm-hmm. go like, why can I stop? Can't I stop thinking about that scene or that thing yeah. or whatever that won't? And then it's not until it has its true payoff, you know, a couple of weeks later, yeah. when I start to realize, oh, maybe I saw something really beautiful, and yeah. I didn't know how to categorize. Yes, that. yes, you yeah, know, I yeah. didn't know how to put it. I I do think that we could have spaces like that in church. Yes, I think if we're 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 yeah, I, I think that we are um, we're ca- we're cautious and I and understandably, I mean, yeah, you know, church is in a really um, difficult place right now, yeah, because oh, for lots of different reasons, right. but you know, um, the the average age of the you know church attendees going up, mm-hmm. um, and and church attendance is going down, and 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 so we're we're really. Care, we don't want to disrupt people, you know. And I think I think really good church, really good worship, really good theater is disruptive in a way that is productive. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think sometimes we sacrifice some of those some of those moments. We we want to lean a little bit more on the pastoralness than than the, the prophetic because. Um, we don't want to upset people, and I, you know, I'm, I'm speaking really broadly, and I'm speaking, yeah. and I'm really speaking from my own. I mean, uh-huh. as as, a, as an enneagram too, or as somebody uh-huh. that's a people pleaser, uh-huh. that's really my that's my burden to bear. I won't put that all in the church. <laughs> I don't want to mess with you too much, but I do, I do like uh-huh. to, I, I do like that we have the opportunity in the church to do that because God gives us yeah. lots of grace and lots of. Um, Lots of room to tell his stories, uh, mm-hmm. to tell God's stories in different ways, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you're you're right in that we do have a balance of being pastoral and prophetic. Oh yeah, and we don't always make the right choice. Sometimes mm-hmm. I, you know we we lean on the prophetic, mm-hmm. and we feel like, oh man, this thing needs to be said, yes. and it turns out, oh, it may have something to do with me working out my baggage on other people, you know, and didn't have something to do with the church. And sometimes maybe it was a holy passion that needed to mm-hmm. be that needed to have some risk and take it in. But then there's often the times where we have to recognize people have been pushed. For too much, oh, like, yeah. and people yeah. maybe may need a pastor to just create space for them to rest yeah. in a church service, and that is also um, productive. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. moving mm-hmm. people towards healing and rest and wholeness, mm-hmm. which is kind of the goal of the whole thing, anyway. I mm-hmm. mean, whether you are to be pushing somebody in stress or or giving them a place to rest, mm-hmm. it's only for us. Like, are they moving toward a healing and whole? person mm-hmm. and and a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Um because then then it's not just like a working out our own ego issues. Yeah. So um yeah. yeah. Josh, this is I mean I, I think we're gonna have to do a part two. I'll do a part two. Yeah, because because we we have we have only scratched the surface of some of the stuff. What we what what I love we were getting into was just kind of like really the 
the ways in which kind of the goals of both theater and church are are at are moving to the same mm-hmm. point. You know, yeah. the, you know, uh, David Mamet. He wrote a book a while ago. Um, which one was it? I think Love it was Mamet. it. Uh, Love Mammoth. He is a small little book that I love reading. Oh, um, it's called uh, Three, Three Uses of the knife. knife. Oh my goodness, we hit that, it at the same time. Yeah. Can you believe it? Jinx. Yeah. What Twinsies. such a good book. <laughs> Twinsies. <laughs> so it's, what, book. it's such a good book. Yeah. And yeah. he was just like, it is towards this cathartic cleansing awe. Yeah. I mean, we're that's that's basic in the definition of worship mm-hmm. is this sense of wonder and awe, but also of ascribing value mm-hmm. and worth mm-hmm. to that outside of you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So for me, it's always, I've seen for, for years and years, seen the connection between what I feel and what what the the effects are in my life. It's a good musical mm-hmm. and a good worship service, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. They're moving us in the same way. What I think we'll have to get into next time is like, how do you, going back to our previous conversation about authenticity, yeah. And the actor always has, and I also think the pastor has this challenge, any sort of performer. Mm-hmm. What is the line between knowing I'm authentic and knowing I'm I'm drawing upon my craft? Yes. Which feels yeah. like I'm manufacturing something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's a conversation I was having with my daughter even too, because she gigs with me every once in a while. Oh. She was like, if I don't believe something all the time oh, and I'm yeah. singing something yeah. to somebody, can I do that ethically and feel feel good about it? Mm-hmm. And I was like, come on, that's every pastor <laughs> ever at some Just point. Just not feeling it today. Yeah, Just not feeling they it had today. to get to that place and they also had to create a space for somebody. So, mm-hmm. which um, I th- And I think to communicate that to our worshipers too, I think that's so important. Yeah. Because I think we... Um, you know, we invite them into the space and we want them to, to have authentic experiences um, and to discover more of themselves, more of their community, more of the kingdom of God, more of, you know, the, the fullness that is God and whatever, whatever way they're encountering God. And, um, but, but we, we, we don't want it to be messy, you know, as often, or we, we want to mm-hmm. make sure that, that the, the face matches what's going on inside. Mm-hmm. I was at a great worship service this past Sunday where they had a 12 step program come and mm-hmm. share their testimonies. And I was like, that's oh, church, that's yeah. church. That's, and then, and we were doing the liturgy too. The guys would get up and they would share their testimony and then they would do a piece of liturgy. And the liturgy was so much more meaningful because you're like, I know this Ooh, person's, I know, I know this so person's good. struggles. I know what is going on inside of them and what has gotten them to this place where 10 years ago, they never could have thought they'd be standing in front of this church and leading liturgy, leading worship, and here they are. And then I'm like, I don't care what words we're saying. This is beautiful. Mm. This is worship, mm. right? That's, and that's, oh, man. And that's theater. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's storytelling. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, it's, and, it's, and it's beautiful. And I, I mean, okay, so let's save it. We're going to get into that okay. next time. We'll figure out a time. We're going we're gonna to make a part two. But before we go, would you just kind of say, hey, what maybe – what are you doing right now? Is there is there work that people can find you doing or you mm-hmm. want to share or plug or anything like that? Yes. Um, so I am I'm teaching middle school theater. So if you ever want to come see a middle school theater show. What it, what's, what's your middle school theater show coming up? <laughs> oh, I, we got to figure it out. We're not sure what we're going to do. We just did Xanadu this past Ooh, spring. Xanadu. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, Kids wow. were like, 
why are we not doing something Disney? But they loved it. I mean, oh, it's- Oh, so cool. It's uh, ELO, Electric Light Orchestra, 1980s. Yeah. It's, you know, leg warmers and- so That's good. brilliant, man. So good. Good time. So we did that. Um, yeah, I'm a little private school up in Lafayette, and I love it. I love students, and I didn't say more about that, but I, mm. I could talk about my love for students um, just on and on and on. Mm. They Oh, there's something about working with students that's just so, so delightful because they bring themselves in such an authentic way. So, um, but uh, worship-wise, I'm, I'm a worship leader with the Envia Collective. Yes. I know you just had uh, Marcel and Cindy on. Yeah, recently. we, we had Marcel and Cindy. Podcast. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, and so, uh, worship leader for them. And so, I'm getting the chance to travel along the front range mm-hmm. and, and lead worship at all these different churches. And I love to see how God is working in, in different communities in so many different ways. Yeah. Um, in terms of my own stuff, I've, I've got, um, I've, I have a, a vocal coaching business and a acting coaching business. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm at uh, two, two places, joshgafka.com, G-A-F-F as in Frank, G-A. That's mm-hmm. how I spell it for telemarketers. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, my website, yourvoice.studio. So not a dot .com, a dot studio. .studio. I'm bullish on these new, these, these, New dot the new, things. Oh, yeah. What do they call them? The non-dot-coms. The, the non-dot-coms. That was the technical answer. <laughs> I think it was. So yourvoice.studio. Um, love working with with uh, students and adults on on their acting, their singing. Um, and and the, the root of it all, it's called Your Voice Studio, is, is helping people discover their voice. Mm-hmm. Whether it's how can I become a better singer because I have something I want to express to what do I want to say to the world? How do I want to represent myself to the world? Yeah. So those are the two things I'm working on and raising a family and, and yeah. just loving, loving being involved in this and that. Man, really nice. yeah. unbelievable conversation. I mean, it just, it, not a dull moment. I've thank you. It. Oh, it's fantastic. been an honor to be here. Oh, it was thank an honor. You. Yes, I, I love what you all are doing, and I love the conversations you're having. Great. So thanks for having me be part of it. Thanks, Josh. All right. So that was, uh, man, just great stuff. I uh, loved like it. A, yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, and and like I said, I I took I took so many notes, but a lot of it was stuff not necessarily so that we could talk about it afterwards, but mostly so I can try some of those things mm. uh, in in my own in my own congregation and and with my own community. Um, you know, the some of these ideas that he that he brought out about like how how to do something or how to how how to push people into a new space. Um, you know, I think a lot of worship leaders, uh, it's just like, we're just going to hit people with both barrels with this. You know, there's no like gentleness. There's no nudging. It's just, well, I do this. You should do it too. You know? And, uh, but this idea of, of doing, doing things that are uncomfortable that are framed in something familiar, I felt like that was, you know, that's a, that's a really gentle way to bring your congregation into new spaces as you're leading them in worship. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like you have to, in order to do that, you have to know where your people are, you know, like you can't, you can't push them to a new space if you don't know where they are right now mm-hmm. um, and what they're comfortable with and, and how far you can actually push them before you start to, you know, push people away, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. so I just thought that was, that was really good. I, I thought that I thought the incredible wisdom that he brings from that kind to that kind of insight. It's yeah. it's almost reminds me a little bit of like what Richard Rory would say is like you you can't under you can't understand what you don't love first. Right. You know, and that you can't actually lead somebody that you don't really love. And if 
And if you see them as being nothing but resistant to where you, 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 you miss, um, I'm sorry, being resistant to where you want to take them as a group, mm-hmm. then you miss all the ways to be grateful for who they are and what they're giving you right now. And I right. just, I just sense that, that gratitude coming from Josh. I think he was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And if, you know, if you're ever fortunate enough, uh, dear listener to, to meet Josh Gafka in person, you will, uh, you will understand, uh, that just that deep love that he has for, for the church for, I mean, just the deep love for he has that he has for whoever is just in front of him. Yeah. You know, you, you, you stand and you talk to him and you just get this, this feeling that he cares, you know, even if it's your first time meeting him, you know, it's just like, Oh, you're a like an actual genuine human who cares about me yeah. standing in front of you right now. And that's unfortunately seems very, very rare. Um, but thanks for, thanks for doing that, uh, that interview, Paul. It was, yeah. Oh, it, it was, was worth it for me just to hear the story about his awkward family photo. Oh man. Yes. And we are, we're, we're going to link that. Yes, we are. So check the podcast podcast description um because because you have to see this picture it is glorious chances are if you follow awkward family photos you have seen it that's what yeah. i realized i was like oh i've seen this picture before yeah and then it's like <laughs> and now i know one of the people in that picture is just it's so great and uh yeah so we'll it's, make sure yeah make sure you check the pod- podcast description or go to torncurtainarts.org we'll make sure that we get some some love for uh for josh and his awkward family yeah, it's well. so great. And I know that when I get on there, it's like another 15 minutes of a rabbit hole of me <laughs> going oh, yeah. through you're, the rest of the photos. Yeah, you're not going to be able to just look at this one picture. It's going to and, and then you will like you won't necessarily see yourself, but you will see yourself yeah. <laughs> in these yeah. pictures cuz there's so much joy on oh, that site. It is. It's so <laughs> great. It's so great. Just helps you yeah. feel not alone. Um Yeah, it's so great. So. Well, what do we got going on, you know, coming up uh, with torn curtain here. Yeah. Soon. Well, we would, uh, we would love for you if you're a, a worship leader and you're, you're feeling whether you're, you're in church, like you're in a job now where you're working in the church or you are sort of between those places, or maybe you've given up on ministry entirely. Um, we would love, uh, to help you. Uh, and one of the ways that we do that, uh, is through the green room. This is a, a, a coaching platform that we've d- been developing over the last year, uh, to help worship leaders, uh, sort of recover, uh, their heart and their soul, um, and, and, and push them to new places in, in those areas to help sort of reinvigorate, uh, a lot of the more practical things that happen in your ministry. Um, so much of, so much of the, the things that we give to worship leaders, um, are so focused on the practical, you know, like here are some systems, here's some plans, here's some ways that you can build your ministry and grow it faster and do cool things on Sunday morning. Um, and Oh, all the heart and soul stuff. Here's a book. You can take care of that by yourself. Um, but we really feel that, that that's backwards. Um, uh, our, our ministry should be rooted uh, in in our soul and in our heart, and and everything should flow out of that and out of our uh, you know a deep and intimate relationship with with Jesus Christ and and knowing who we are in God. Um, and so we've started this coaching platform called the Green Room. Um, if that sounds like you, you're in this place where you're just you feel like you're just spinning your wheels in ministry um, and you want to get off that treadmill. Uh, go to greenroomleaders.com. And uh, you can find out more about this pro- uh, this coaching platform and uh, and and how you can get involved in it and and get yourself off of that ministry treadmill 
um, uh, hopefully for good. Yeah, definitely. And it, and it's possible. I mean, it's yeah. really, it, it's something that we realize we don't, you know, sort of fall into some bad habits until almost it's, it's too late and we realize, oh, wow, we are over capacity. We don't know how to get out of this. Um, and I don't think what people need is more information about how to get out of the funk that they're in. Yeah. They need community. We need community. Yep. We, I mean, I think the green room is just as valuable for just us as much as it is for other leaders because we need other leaders. We need other people to be in community with um, and, and sharing insights. And, and that's really the big value of it. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, please sign up if you want to go to greenroomleaders.com. Um, let us know where, you know, and it's we have options for people in person and virtual. So yeah. give us, uh, let us know what you need. Okay. All right, cool. Well, we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you on the next episode. Thanks again for listening to Chasing Sunday. Yes, we love you. Chasing Sunday is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and distributed by Resonate Media. Your hosts are Brian Davis and Paul Romig-Levitt, with editing and mixing by Danny Burton. Torn Curtain Arts is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and your tax-deductible gifts make our work possible. For more information about TCA, and to partner with us in our ongoing work, visit torncurtainarts.org.